Hey, base. Do you identify as a conjurer or hoodoo? Maybe a spiritualist, healer, or mystic? Maybe even a bad bitch witch? If so, we, myself and my research partner, are looking for black practitioners within Afro-spiritual systems for a short interview about your experiences within your spiritual practice. If you're interested, please fill out the Google form, which will be in the show notes. And if you are selected, you will receive a $25 gift card for your participation. So if you identify as any of these things and you are a black spiritualist, please fill out the Google form if you're interested in being interviewed. And if chosen, you will get 25 dollars. Listen, we all need our coins. Okay, so can't wait to tell y'all more about it as we develop our research. Thanks so much. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of A Little Juju Podcast, Baze. I'm very excited about our episode today because we are talking about, well, first of all, we're talking to Ebony Janice, and we'll get into who Ebony Janice is, um, but we're talking about a really action-packed topic today um, <laughs> regarding religion and growing up in the Christian tradition and navigating the world of Afro-diasporic religions. And I, I just knew that Ebony Janice was a good person to talk to about this. I feel like we met on the gram, like most people are meeting these days. Um, I lose track of time. I don't know if this was last year, maybe two years ago, but on the gram, definitely through LaVon, who was a friend of the show. Shout out to LaVon Briggs. Mm -hmm. And we just connected ever since. And so can I read your website? I mean, allegedly my bio is on that website. <laughs> Go ahead, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so according to the site, Ebony Janice is a woman, a scholar, author, and activist doing community organizing work specifically around Black women's body ownership as a social justice issue and hip-hop as a tool for social, political, and spiritual movement making. She reaches the pluralism of Black Christianity and the interconnectedness of the Southern Black Christian experience with Indigenous African religions and African spirituality. See why she's here. Ebony Janice has presented papers on hip-hop as liberation theology at Princeton University, Columbia University, the University of Chicago, period, period, period. So let's welcome to the show the <laughs> thank you for period 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 okay so my bio <laughs> is true and also it's not okay let's wake it up here's what is all of those things are true that is mm -hmm. what i be doing allegedly allegedly <laughs> really who i am though is mm -hmm. <sighs> just a black woman trying to be free <sighs> i'm free remain okay free. Remain free. Remain That's free. That's who I am. And I feel okay. like all of those titles and all of that, you know, your resume, your CV, it feels so important at some point in your career, some point in your journey. And mm -hmm. then you wake up one day and realize that that's exhausting. <laughs> you know, what yes. I really am on a mission to do is remain free. And mm -hmm. hopefully as a result of me being free in this world, other black women, most specifically, but other people get to see like, oh, that's free. I want to do that. And that mm -hmm. will be, you know, a part of our liberation journey. So that really is my activism, remaining free. 
Remaining free. Thank you for saying that. Um, because in the intro of my show, I talk about spiritual traditions that can help get us free. And this language of you remaining free, meaning that you are already free. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about how you, how do you know that you're free? How, how did you get to a point where you're like, I'm free? Or were you always free? I have always been free. Now, I have not Ooh. always behaved as such. I think for most of us, I, I think for all of us, but I'm going to say most of us, because mm-hmm. I'm sure some people will be like, no, I'm in bondage. I don't want to, you know. Yes. So there's that. But <laughs> but I I feel like the language of, you know, the the more the more information, the more knowledge, the more we mature spiritually, the more we get the space spaciousness to really trouble language and mm-hmm. some of the language of like, oh, we just striving for freedom. We just, mm-hmm. you know, doing this work for justice. I feel like if we trouble that language a little bit more, saying that we're trying to get free is an agreement that we're not. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to continue making that agreement that I'm not a free person. I am I am a free person. That's what God said. That's what spirit said. That's what I said. That's I agree. So there's that. Mm-hmm. So the remaining free portion is, I think, the work, you know, daily, right. whether that's my spiritual work or whether that's my contribution you know, as a person who is doing justice work and, you know, education, Mm -hmm. right? Like that, that is the work, but the work is to remain free, not to get free because I was born, huh? Y'all don't want me to preach. I was, we do. (laughs) The the Bible says, (laughs) (laughs) and we'll talk a little bit more about the Bible as my sacred text. I'm sure at some point, but the the Bible says whom the son says free is free. Indeed. The indeed Mm. part is a little bit shady, petty, Cause it's like, uh, there's so many times when like Christ is speaking about liberation and he's like, I set you free for the sake of freedom. That's so petty. I set you free for the sake of freedom is petty because it's like, can I say nigga? Yes. Okay. You say <laughs> nigga, I set y'all free, but I have to say that I, I have to repeat this. I have to like be a little redundant because I knew left to your own devices, you will put yourself back in the bondage. And so mm. that's why that piece around remaining free feels like, you know, the journey because I have, I am free, but for the sake of freedom, right? I am free, but left to my own devices, I will not be free. I will Mm. participate. I will, you know, wallow in a sad song. I will, I will give people power over me. I will, I will trust institutions to do stuff they never going to do. I will, I will, I will, I will, but me, myself personally, I'm free indeed. Right. So that's right. the work I think. Wow. That's that's it. <laughs> so now I want to talk about your freedom journey. Little Ebony Janice. Like what was your freedom journey growing up and in your spiritual background? Um, and sort of how did that space I mean, I know you grew up in a church. Yeah. How did that nurture free you or challenge the concept of being free? Little Ebony Janice has always been this right here. Mm-hmm. I, I I give this perfect example when I was I used to be a um I used to be a gospel rapper. Yes, I saw that <laughs> when I was stalking all your things. <laughs> it's embarrassing, but it's not because it's just a thing. Jesus Christ, if you're nasty. Honey, (laughs) honey, your girl used to be out here trying to find all the different ways to rhyme Jesus with please us, (laughs) with don't tease us. (laughs) Period. (laughs) 
So the Jesus Christ of you nasty uh, bar is actually a perfect example of who it is that I am as a person historically yes. that there's this time that and I did not have permission to do this rap publicly, but I did. My aunt okay. was the director of the choir. She closed her eyes during this particular part. I step up to the mic and I start <laughs> rapping. This is like some A, B, C, D, E, F, G, my Jesus died for you and me. It's some whatever, whatever. And then the end of the, the end of the verse goes. And one more time, this for all y'all that ask me, his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, if you're nasty. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> beloved, Wait. you going to jail or to hell? Pick, pick one. Wait, but that ain't. <laughs> <laughs> they was hating because they and one more time just for all of y'all that ask me his name is jesus jesus christ if you nasty <laughs> sweetie what <laughs> what so that feels like the perfect example of like mm-hmm. understanding who little ebony janice was just this mm-hmm. deep investment I, I calling myself a hip-hop womanist because i was simultaneously raised in a church and by hip-hop and so to exclude right either of those languages from the canon that is Ebony Janice mm-hmm. feels, you know, it's absolutely an ethical issue. It feels, you know, it feels violent to me in the seasons of my life when I try to use the language that other people felt about mm-hmm. hip hop or about, you know, consider can uh, contributing popular culture into, you know, the text whenever I was preaching or just whatever, whatever. Wow. So, so Yeah. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, if you nasty. Okay. Period. What what denomination did you grow up? I grew up in the Baptist Church, Southern okay. Southern Southern Baptist, and a very charismatic, very charismatic to the point that. Uh, so denomination is so interesting because you know there is like the doctrine that we so called practice, and then there's mm-hmm. the practice. And yes. even though we're Southern Baptist. Which in the Baptist faith, you're supposed to, you're not supposed to speak in tongues unless there's an, an interpreter. Yep. The saints of God was speaking in tongues. Oh, the, you know. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The saints of God was running. That's not mm. traditionally a Southern Baptist practice. But right. at New Jerusalem Missionary Baptist Church, 1920 Shelby Street, Sandusky, Ohio, the saints of God was speaking in tongues, running around the church, passing out, you know, getting demons cast out at the altar like that's the energy that that I grew up in and and I have so many you know memories of like being I've been I've been teaching Sunday school since I was five six I've been preaching from the pulpit since I was eight and there's so most of the people in my family most of the women in my family are preachers or ministers or hold some form of you know like ministerial leadership role and so that is the my grandmother teaching Sunday school since I was, you know, five, six years old, because my grandmother was one of the lead Sunday school teachers, one of the head ushers on the usher board, you know, pulled mm-hmm. me to the side to teach me how to make a lesson plan. You can't just use your little booklet. You know, you need to have some prompts. You need some supplemental right. material. You need to, you know, what are the questions? What are you trying to prove with this lesson? So this is the the tradition, both communally and, you know, inside of my family that I was raised in. Mm-hmm. And do you still, if you're comfortable talking about sort of how you identify yourself spiritually or religiously now? Uh-huh. I don't identify as Christian any longer. Um, okay. I, Why not? I, Jesus is a thing for me, but to identify myself as Christian is, will be a lie because I think that, um, so, so people who identify as Christian believe that Jesus is the only way to God. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the practice of contemporary Christianity, more specifically, that Jesus is the only way to God. And that's that. Jesus was my way to God. Like, that's the end of that. And so Mm. to identify as a Christian would be misleading for other people to be introduced to me because I don't necessarily know that if Jesus isn't a thing for you, that means that you're going to, there are a lot of other things. Like I don't have a true system around hell in the same way that I did when I was growing up. Um, I can't fathom it. I can't process that God loves me so much that he wrapped himself in flesh, came to die on the cross, but left, left hell as an option. (laughs) We'll say your ass right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's a lot of energy to still leave this as an option. This perfect Mm-hmm. complete, you know, I think about the love of my mother to affirm this for me. Yeah. My mother, and there's even scripture that affirms this, you know, your mother, mother who loves her child, how much more do I love you? Right. So mm-hmm. God is saying that in the text, it's right there in the text. I love you more than your mama. <laughs> that just reminded <laughs> me of the story of a homegirl of mine told me that her husband has the story. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about for the record, but That's I okay. Her husband, when he he's so intense. So she told me this story about when he was a teenager. Apparently he was dating this girl. Mm-hmm. I think her name was Joyce. And he goes to Joyce's house. She ain't allowed to date him no more. He goes to Joyce's house and he's yelling at the window upstairs. Joyce, get down here. So her dad comes to the door and he says, Joyce, I love you more than your father. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Sir, relax. So that story Calm just. Calm down. Sir, relax. But no. So thinking about this, like God is like, I like how much your mother loves you. I love you more than that. Mm-hmm. There is nothing, no thing that I could do that my mother would throw me into burning fire. Not one thing. Yeah. Even, even if, even if I rejected her, <laughs> mm-hmm. even if I was like, I'm good cause enjoy, there right. is nothing. So if, if I am to believe this, that God loves me even more than that, why would God design the thing in the first place? Why would right. God make hell an option in the first place? So there's just like a lot of, um, a lot of, things that I had to consider as my theology started to, my truth system started to shift. I just started to ask questions like, I don't know that I believe that. I I get where that could have come from. And this was before I went to seminary and understood where those, you know, stories come from and how dated they are and how Jesus wasn't around when that was happening. And he didn't say nothing about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all of that, you know, forced me to just think like, I ain't smarter than Jesus. You know, I ain't, you know, I ain't, I ain't I don't think more highly of myself than what, you know, God and fleshed, you know, thinks. And then even I trouble that, you know, what it means for me to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, what Jesus represents, mm-hmm. all those things really just shifted mm-hmm. my theology. I was in the closet for years, though, as like still preaching. Nobody in my family knew. Maybe maybe my sisters knew. My, in the closet about what specifically that you weren't identifying uh, that as I, Christian? That I wasn't a Christian, that I didn't believe in hell, that I didn't believe that Jesus oh. is the only way to God. That but I was still preaching. Honey, terrified <laughs> to come out. The oh, when wow. I talk about when I talk about coming out as not Christian to my family, a lot of my queer friends say that sounds like what it sounded like when I came out to my family as queer. Mm. it was terrifying like terrifying 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 I thought that they would reject me honey honey there's just so much therapy just talking about what what's gonna happen when I tell these people and um 
when I finally told, I told my aunt first that I, that is the, you know, everybody got that aunt that she thinks she your mama anyways. I told my aunt first and um, her response was so perfect. You know, just was exactly what I needed. Then <sighs> I told my mama. Okay. My mom was basically like, are you going to <laughs> Just like, well, I'm not going to worry about that. You know, I couldn't tell her, well, I'm leaving hell, you know. But that would have been too Yeah, that's too much steps. for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to ease into this. So, yeah, I just believed that I was going to bring shame to my family. Mm, it just mm-hmm. was so much. But for years, nobody knew, you know. Wow. Maybe, maybe three or four people knew. Nobody knew. How did you balance that as a preacher, but not identifying as Christian? And then what? So it's still that you believed in I would the talk Bible, very God, specifically. Jesus. I would talk very specifically about Jesus Christ as a man. That's the way okay. I would talk about it. Like, okay. like whole, you know, sermons, my whole entire preachment was about the wonder of this idea of Jesus as a man. And the intention then I feel like was really to empower, like if I was, you know, doing the work of preaching, like trying to Mm -hmm. uplift, I was trying to empower humanity to see themselves in Christ by really getting people to understand Jesus Christ enfleshed. And I taught a lot about, you know, the historicity of what was happening at the time geographically, like that's, I would focus Mm -hmm. on that. I remember my first sermon after fully coming out to my sister that I didn't identify as Christian, um, who's one of the only people who knew that at the time, but I'm in Fremont, Ohio, no, in Port Clinton, Ohio, preaching. And I was just like a mess because I'm thinking, you know, somebody here knows. And at some point I look down and I see this fan with white Jesus on it and I pick it up and I'm like, because who is this nigga? <laughs> my sister just <laughs> screams in the back of the church like, this girl is losing it. Get her out of this pulpit. So yeah, I was a bit of a mess during that time too, but... Got it. Very much so. Jesus as a man specific is the way that I, you know, made it make okay. sense in my head. Okay. And so you don't identify as Christian now, but earlier you said you you see the, the Bible is your sacred text. One of my sacred texts. One of your sacred mm-hmm. texts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times when people talk about being Christian and not being Christian, there's this like, I hate the Bible. I don't like Jesus. I hate everything that I came from. And, and I, I know a lot of people go through that process. I went through that. I don't mm-hmm. feel the, the same way anymore. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of us be like, F all of that. Mm-hmm. That's that's a lie. I had that I'm moment curious, too. Did you go through that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus okay. wasn't a thing at all. I was like, it's all a lie. Yeah. <laughs> I was very... My friends started calling me Bebony Shabazz because <laughs> <laughs> because basically, okay. thank you, Jesus Muhammad Allah. Everybody is where I was in my life. I I definitely Ooh, went through yep, that stage. Same. Okay. And, um, but <laughs> but the Bible. I say womanism saved me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, womanism. As coined by Alice Walker, uh, womanism is the feminism as, per- as purple as to lavender, but it's a socio-political, spiritual, religious framework that Alice Walker coins in this four-part definition in the book In Search of Our Mother's Garden. And then 
a group of black religious scholars, black women religious scholars who were studying black uh, liberation theology under Jane, uh, Dr. James Cone mm-hmm. felt that black women still were even inside this black liberation theology that black women were still black women's experience, you know, religious experience still was being erased from this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, as we understand very often in any movement, what unfortunately ends up happening is black men will be like us first. <laughs> right. And but then, a lot louder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then black women will be like, uh, no, that's not, you know, inclusive. And then like, you know, we're not even getting to all the of our other identities where we're like, awesome. Right. What about us? <laughs> mm-hmm. So black women we're like, okay, there's still something missing here. Our experience, you know, and I know that God hasn't forgotten me in this text. Right. And so they t- took um, the language of womanism and they started calling themselves womanist theologians because womanism centers black women's experience. So womanist mm-hmm. theology is centering black women's right. religious experience and religious thought. Mm-hmm. And so I say womanism saved me because what Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon really gives us as a tool is that if the Bible, the God couldn't have forgotten me. And so this text has to speak to me in some way. And if it doesn't, then that means that there has to be something that speaks to me. And that's the reason why you hear when I say one of my sacred texts, it gives me the ability to say, and lemonade is one of my sacred texts. And the color purple is one of my sacred texts. And beloved right. is one of my sacred texts. I'm, you know, always yes. thinking of baby sugs and a clearing, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that is scripture. That is a sermon. And a seat at the table is one of my sacred texts. And sometimes my text thread is, you know, one of my sacred right. texts. Like this is the thing where I know I am being seen as whole, which mean, which is holy to me, right? I'm seen as whole and holy in this space. And so this is sacred to me and this is credible and, and not considering it credible. That's why I bring in hip hop also. If this mm-hmm. is saying this thing that speaks to me and it sees me whole and it gives me language that this doesn't give me language for and see me whole, then I can't exclude it. I can. So, so yeah, so that is right. how I hold on to the Bible is because womanism also gives me permission for the first time in my life, at which point I come into this language of womanism and this theory and this praxis. Womanism gives me the tools to say something is missing here, right? Right. Like somebody lying, somebody, <laughs> something ain't right. Out. Yeah, right. we got to trouble this. You know, it's like yeah. the, the fact that we grew up, um, talking about Abraham and Sarah and never really having a relationship with Hagar and then being a grown woman, you know, studying theology and realizing like, oh, Hagar is an African woman. Hagar, Mm -hmm. you know, is a black woman who is the first person to name God in the Bible. I didn't learn any of those things. And so womanism gives us permission to say why. Why didn't I learn any of those things? Not just that I didn't learn those things. Oh, somebody left that out. No, it's intentionally excluded from the conversation that it contextually matters to us even understanding what is happening here. And it and it sees me in a way that the rest of this story doesn't even see me anyways. Right. It sees me as, oh, a servant. I have no agency. 
really there's rape. You know, there are all these ways that right. this text isn't fleshed out that Dolores Williams does in the book uh, Sisters in the Wilderness. There's all the ways that this text isn't fleshed out. And once it's fleshed out and once we critique it and once we ask questions about it, then here I am like, oh, now I see me. I see the way y'all isolate me. I see the way y'all erase me. I see the way y'all take me out the story. I see the way y'all limit mm-hmm. me. I see the way y'all minimize me. And I see that God hasn't forgotten me because when I really understand what happened with Hagar in that wilderness, then I really get to see, oh, God, you did remember me. Right. Right. I love when we talk about critiquing the Bible because it's something that it doesn't feel super radical to me anymore just because mm-hmm. I'm in it. But I think to a lot of people, it still is a very radical concept and idea to be able to question something that we've been told you're not supposed to question mm-hmm. um, for a really long time. I'm curious how your, you know, the Bible being one of your sacred texts, um, many womanist, womanist writers being part of your sacred text, your text threads. And also, I know that you be talking about ancestors and I know that you be talking about Orisha sometimes. Mm-hmm. How do you or what similarities or concepts have you been able to like, how do you fuse it all together? How does it work together for you having a Southern Black Christian background and then also you be talking about ancestors <laughs> and other deities. Yeah, because a lot of things. So a piece of my theological shift is that I went to Africa when I came back, I was just black as hell. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, they lied to us. And part of the part of the question that I was asking was about hell because I was in a part of Kenya uh, for a period of time that there was no uh, Christianity. Like it was a largely Muslim, it's still mm-hmm. largely Muslim um, right. space. And I, I just really, the first time in my life where I really had to think about if I were not born here, it is possible that I wouldn't be Christian, which of course leads me to slavery, you know, if I weren't born here, it is possible. Not It's not 100% certain because missionaries was going to do what they was going to do. You know, right. colonization, right? If I was one of the, you know, uh, African people that did not get transported over here violently, it is still possible that I would have conver- been converted to Christianity at some point. But that there are places on the globe that if I were born there, I wouldn't even be talking about Jesus other than as like this idea. Right. Good guy, like him a lot. That's that. That is the way that I will be talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back to the States after that experience, I really just had questions that I never, ever asked. I knew what I believed. I didn't know why I believed it. I didn't have really that language for myself. And so right. thankfully I had a, I was serving in ministry at a church in Decatur, Georgia at the time. And one of the senior pastors who I was really close with him and his wife, I shared with him specifically what I was going through, like the extreme of it. Like, I don't even know about Jesus at all. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I, I think that you should go down this path as deep as you can go, because when you come out on the other side, I, be- I trust that you will have a firm understanding for yourself about what it is that you believe. And I feel so grateful for that because he could have tried to, you know, just throw some nice words and some preachment and some fear, which other people did try to do that. I, you know, kind of shared little pieces with just throw some fear on top of it and leave it at that. But there were, there were 
questions that he couldn't answer. And he was just honest about that. Like I, you know, am a religious scholar and I just trouble that. I just don't have the answers to it, but I just continue to trouble it. And so I went down that path all the way to Jesus ain't a thing. And then <laughs> Juju, if you could have known me during that time in my life, I was such a hotep. I'm very, I'm very ashamed of some of the ways that I existed <laughs> at that time in my life. I've been there, but it happened. And um, on the, on the journey back to Jesus as a part of my story around what is divine, what is holy, what is sacred, you know, what is true. There were these other things that also were true, particularly as it pertains to my actual identity, my actual, you know, whole self identity, which is more than just me in this body, um, in this, in this timeline, which, so this is a lot to flesh out, which I won't even try because it's so much, but a part of the questions, I also went back to school at the time, get my, got my degree in cultural anthropology. And so I have been asking a lot of questions about um, lived experience, right? Like, what is your experience with this? And what does this mean? Where did you get that from? And so some of those questions are like, uh, which is going to bring us to, you know, Black religion, mm-hmm. Blackness as religion, really. Some of those questions are like, when you were a little girl, and you got your hair done, did you have to be the one to dispose of your hair? Right. Mm. Like you couldn't, you know, there's a story like, don't let nobody get your hair, do something with your hair. Or, you know, you have to dispose of your hair properly because if a bird build a nest with it, then you know what that will mean. Right. Or, you know, even certain superstitions like, you know, salt, you know, spilling salt or mm-hmm. getting your foot swept with a broom. Or even as, you know, as seemingly it feels very it feels very uh, common conversation now around feng shui, but we didn't have language for it. But my mother was a feng shui master. Energy was such a thing for my parents growing up Mm -hmm. that my mom knew the right way the couch needed to be facing in order for whatever was happening in our house or, you know, cleaning up on the weekends. They're like Mm -hmm. sweeping the dirt out the front door very specifically was this thing. And the more I began to ask these questions that that didn't really line up with anything in the text, Christianity wise, you know, in the Bible, I had to I had to consider that there is something very specific with blackness as it pertains to religion, because Mm -hmm. this wasn't so I'm focused on Christianity, but I also have a lot of friends who are Muslim who were saying that even inside of our very, you know, Muslim experience. We're having a very drastically different experience than white people or than yeah. or than people who are from the Middle East, right, who are practicing right. Islam. We're having a drastically different experience. And so one of the things that I was theorizing just unofficially, officially inside of this degree program that I was doing is that Blackness impacts religion and like there's something about blackness that impacts all religion. And I don't care what you know, your what you say you believe your blackness is impacting that to the point that you might be doing some stuff regularly that don't got nothing to do with Jesus, the Christ, (laughs) but you do it religiously. Right. And so that made it so much more easy for me to say, I can't exclude this. I can't Mm. exclude nature. 
when I got when nature, you know, and the elements were such a huge part of my upbringing, turn mm-hmm. off all the lights and everything, you know, unplug stuff when it's storming because mm-hmm. God is doing his business. OK, God yep. is doing his business. There is nothing in the text in this in the Bible that says anything <laughs> about sit down in the middle of the floor at your grandma's turn house, the turn on. the TV off, turn the lights off and just sit there and look silly at your cousins and be quiet. Because God is doing his business. But, you know, Mm -hmm. you know who does want reverence while doing their business? Oh, yeah. I I couldn't know that and act like there isn't something inherently black then Mm. something inherently African then about this behavior. Or I'm from Sandusky, Mm. Ohio, which has a. A, a decent size at, when I was growing up there has a decent size pop- population of black people, but it's a predominantly white space. Mm-hmm. Um, I know y'all can't believe it because I'm a realist, but I grew up with white girls and I was a true. Pardon me. <laughs> Block me. But so grew up in Sandusky, Ohio. And I, so I grew up around, you know, people who practice Christianity, mm-hmm. both different denominations and even non-Protestant. So Catholics, you know, I grew up going to and visiting. Yes, I grew up going to and visiting, you know, Methodist church. I grew mm-hmm. up going like white, seeing white people Same. worship. And that doesn't even feel like the appropriate thing to say, because I don't know that I grew up with the context of white people worshiping the way that I understood worship. Right. I grew up seeing white people go to church. I did mm-hmm. not grow up seeing white people love God the way that I loved God. Right. To the point that I had a judgment. I still it still lingers a little bit. It's not a oh, it's not a judgment. I got a story about that, too, um, with some data to back it up. But that white people don't have the same experience with God or need for God that black people do, because Ooh. if you got white supremacy, if you got systems, you don't need God the way black people need God. Ooh. You don't. Why would you why would you ever fast for Ooh. 40 days and 40 nights? When you could just get your uncle to pay the bill for you. (laughs) Like, why would you do that? Why would you lay prostrate until the power of the Holy Ghost fall on you when you could just go ask your grandma for it? Like, why would you do that? So systematic, you know, racism plays a part in even the way that you experience the need for God. Black people need God. Slaves. Mm The, the enslaved need God. If we don't go to heaven, that's the only way that we see freedom. We got to yep. go to heaven. And I, I go back to slavery, but even think about, I was just talking about this the other day, because uh, something that I'm writing, um, this little book that's coming out July of 2023, it's called All the Black Girls Are Activists. Yum. <laughs> we'll get into it. All you need is a little juju. But so I'm working on something, you know, talking about like, you know, freedom in this way and the way that black people have contextualized heaven or paradise or freedom or, you know, what mm-hmm. liberation will look like the Afro future, you know, dreaming really of like what it will look like when we get to right. a shared, you know, experience of freedom. And so you think about like the Funkadelics, you think about the mothership, you think about like, you know, swing low, sweet chariot coming for to carry me home. Come get me is basically what they was just in the field singing. Come, come get me. Come scoop me Come up. get me immediately. So all of those things played a part in me being able to say that 
that me being black and mm. and and whoever my ancestors were, you know, beyond Mississippi, Alabama, which is how far I could trace it at that point in my life, whoever my ancestors were beyond this must have known something because they passed this on, yep. this behavior, these practices. You know, I brought up white people in a Methodist church. They wasn't fainting. <laughs> they they weren't, you know, singing and clapping. Uh, it's conjure when the when the bass player, the drummer and the organist start playing a certain chords at the same time. That is specifically a mm -hmm. conjure moment. Mm -hmm. There is no context outside of black Christianity where other Christians are doing that until yes. they get it from black church. It's just a fact. Yeah. It's just a fact. White people was not acting like that before. <laughs> they were just not acting like that. They were not singing like that. They were <laughs> not doing it. They listen. And this is shady, not shady. It's a, just a thing. White people, like if that. you're listening to this, you know that y'all have an intimate relationship with the one and the three. Mm. <laughs> you know it. So you, what's that about? So you know that your ancestors <laughs> were not getting turned up on the one and the three. <laughs> now the two and the four is where the spirit lives. <laughs> Y'all don't like it when I preach. <laughs> I wow, I'm I'm a little shooketh. <laughs> I shooketh. I am. I'm a little shooketh. At this point where you feel like you've gotten, you know, you're you're getting clarity, you're getting your answers, you're have a holistic idea and concept of your spirituality, I mean your spiritual identity and religious identity. How do you balance the relationship to your family or maybe old friends that maybe how do I say this? What I'm trying to say is I think an experience of mine and a lot of people who are listening to the show who are primarily black people, mm -hmm. um, primarily black women, they talk about we get all this information. Yeah, we're doing this. Woo, black. Yes. Spirit. Orisha ancestors. Yeah. But my homegirl, my old homegirls, my grandmama, my mama is still very much not with that. Mm -hmm. And so what what do you do with that? Because I think people talk about being very frustrated, cutting people off, even losing people. Like, how do relationships? How do have your relationships kind of shifted? And what do you, what have you? What do you do with that? If that makes sense, I lost people for sure in the process, and that was hard. That was part of the part of the part of the journey too. Why it took me so long probably like seven years to tell the truth, mm. honestly. Um, but part of the part of the reason why it took me so long is because along the journey, I would just say things, you know, just questions, just, you know. And I saw the response, you know, inside my family, most specifically. Right. And I was terrified, like, I'm going to lose them. They're, they will reject me. They won't love me. And I'm from what I would have called a close family before I started therapy and got the language of enmeshed. And I'm from mm -hmm. an enmeshed family for sure. Meaning we, we, the, the way that I define it 
really is that there's a hierarchy, you know, of eldership inside my family. Mm-hmm. And so from the top down, you know, it's whatever grandma said, whatever, you know, it's just, we're just continuing to pass our values in that way down. So somebody decided, you know, years ago that we're Christian in this way, and this is what we're doing. And that's just what we continue to do. And, um, the only way to get out of that, whatever your place is in that, you know, hierarchy or the lower end, cause I'm on the lower end. Cause I am a granddaughter and a third to the youngest granddaughter. So I'm like, you know, low on a totem pole. Two ways to get out of that order is to rebel. Bonjour. Je m'appelle Ebony Janice. Or to have some social, you know, success, some social status. Yeah. Um, and I saw that in my family, particularly just thinking about one of my aunts who isn't the oldest aunt, but she had the most money. So there's a way that she gets to hold some authority because she yeah. paying the mortgage and, you know, right. whatever. Also now, bonjour, je m'appelle Ebony Janice. <laughs> Come on now. Excuse me, pardon me. <laughs> I told my, no, I told my cousin recently, I'm I'm in charge of this family. <laughs> I was like, girl, shut the hell up. <laughs> I'm in charge of this whole Don't you family. trying to scoot up the pole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to go to the top. I'm trying to, to go top. to the top. I am in charge. I am the Don. I need somebody to, like, y'all can't even call me directly. You got to call somebody else to get to Oh, my God. <laughs> but um so so this hierarchy then dictated that we were christian and we didn't Mm -hmm. we never ask any questions you know that's across families you know it's like we share our morals values and so i i would i would have said that we were close but really we share so many values that we think that we're close because we do so many things alike and and we, and a shared value is even like the coming together or the exchanging of information, yeah. you know, whatever. And that was, so, so I thought, I'm, this is hard. I'm going to lose these people and I need them. And then therapy helped me to start giving myself permission to tell the truth about those relationships in the first place, which is the reason why I'm saying I, I would have said we were close Right. Thing that it was enmeshed revealed to me that some of the story that I had about how close we were is not true anyways. So some of what I am holding on to isn't even real. You know, mm. I don't want these relationships to change. And really, it's the story that I have about the relationship that I'm terrified of losing. Yeah. I'll give an example. Mm. Um, Lord, I hope these people never listen to this podcast. <laughs> they probably won't. I'm sure they won't actually at this point they're so sick of my shit I don't ever buy them nothing honestly um does Eric about do reference that I have a family member specifically who I I have a long track record of feeling like dang why she she, I have a cousin who's my age mate where we call it, we're in twin cousins. We're six months apart. Mm-hmm. Emiko, Janelle, Ebony, Janice, like we are, you know, the twin cousins, whatever. This particular family member would come and pick up Emiko and leave mm-hmm. me. <laughs> and it would just be like, this is weird. That's weird. This is strange that you would do this to this child, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And so as an adult, it really, you know, therapy really revealed that to me. Like I am fighting for it to not lose that relationship. Yeah. And she been leaving me <laughs> for years, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard piece for a lot of us is that our the relationships are not whole anyways if they can fall apart as a result of the fact that I think something different than you. Mm. You, you're going to say that it's because I don't identify as Christian anymore. And that's the reason why we're not as close, but really we were, you know, on sync and saying anyways, yeah, (laughs) it wasn't, it wasn't the cutest situation all around anyways. Mm. And because the only thing that we have to really, um, manage healing inside of our Christian, our crystal centric familial relationship is Jesus. If I take Jesus out the equation, then we don't got nothing. We don't have anything. We don't have real healing rituals. We don't have real tools to process us as whole people because we not whole people. And like my, my identity, my personality is just Jesus and ain't nothing else interesting about me, but Jesus. And so, so there's that. Um, another, so that was hard, you know, and that's the thing. That's the thing too, about talking about remaining free, getting to freedom, Mm. but remaining free, getting to the place where you can say I'm a free woman, but particularly remaining free is that I could tell you I'm a Capricorn. So I could tell you step one, step two, step three. And I mean that. And if you would just listen to me, (laughs) then everything will be okay. (laughs) But everybody don't really want to process the fact that it is a hard journey. It's hard. It is. It's hard. It don't feel good. Sometimes it feels very lonely. You're going to cry. You have a knot in your stomach. You're going all the things. It's just a thing. It's hard. It is hard. What I, what I do want to say though, to encourage people to, to do the work of healing and to trouble those relationships and the foundation anyways, Mm -hmm. is that I'm good. I'm good now. You know, Mm. I'm, I'm in a place that's so healthy. The relationships that have remained are good, you know, juicy. Those people haven't converted, (laughs) you know, I I have no desire whatsoever for them to, if, if I could unknow what I know, I wish I could some days. Like if I go back to just being like, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. God, I'll be right back over there just clapping my hands and stomping my feet, you know? Right. And um, so, so that's that. I, I have no desire for them to change what it is that they, you know, what their true system is. But, but the foundation obviously was more steady than those other relationships that unfortunately haven't survived that. Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll come back around at some point, you know, but to date, it's just, you know, a surface, you know, right. it, it's like ain't nobody won't be shooting at each other, but right. we don't, you know, have deep, intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I so but when I say I'm good, I'm good. Mm. That's a lot of therapy. OK, mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. And and I have you know, multiple over the last probably six or so years, multiple Mm -hmm. kinds of coaches, a life coach, a vulnerability coach, 
coaches. like coaches that don't even got titles for real, for real. Just give me your money and I'm gonna help you do it. Like coaches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I have invested energetically and financially and, you know, communally into my healing communally. When yeah. I say communally, I mean, maybe you don't, I, I started off doing a lot of this work as a poor grad school student and, um, so the community of folk who just looked like they were talking about something that it I it was tough for me because I was still on the journey. Yeah. But but just looked like they knew something I didn't know. And so I just try to figure out how to be a part of that community, how to be around that. And that's mm-hmm. free. So from free, mm-hmm. you know, the the very powerful healing, you know, work of just being in community with folk who just think something ain't, ain't nobody telling you to come over here and think exactly what I think. Just, I think something that you've never heard. So come listen to this to, you know, what costs actual money. You know, I have invested energetically financially, you know, into this healing. The other thing that I want to say on this journey is that I have seen people transform that I, in Mm. ways that I never imagined And I know that it is because they got to see me do it out loud. And a perfect example is this story. I've I've told this this story publicly before, maybe like in a social media post or something like that. But I I was after grad school, I was poor. I was living in my mom's house and every person in my immediate family was living in my mom's house. In my parents' house, it's my dad's house too. Why be? That's just the thing folk do. Your just mama and your daddy live there. Yeah, and my daddy paid a mortgage, so it's just very weird. Like, is this your mom's house? <laughs> so we're all in my parents' house. Me, my sisters, all their children, all our dogs. We all here, and um, which is stressful as f u c k. I had I'm the only person in the whole family with my own room because I don't got no kids. <laughs> Telling y'all, leave them kids where they at. You can have you some space. <laughs> But so I'm in my own room. There's an altar in my room. Mm-hmm. My mama feel a way about it. She be on the phone talking to her sisters. They feel a way about it for the most part. Okay. I'm, I'm going through something where the only person at this time on my altar is my grandmother, my mother's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a real relationship with my dad's mother because um, when she was alive, I didn't particularly have a close relationship with her. Okay. So she's not on my altar at this time. And then um, one day she starts coming to me randomly in dreams. Mm. And is at first it's creeping me out because like one is like a goldfish coming through this pipe to get to me. And I just know that it's her. And I mm. know that I'm not supposed to be afraid, but I'm scared because like, nigga, what the, like, what is this? Right. <laughs> And then I, and then this Native American woman in the Bay Area, random story, this Native American woman in the Bay Area comes to me at the end of this event one day and tells me that your ancestors that you have not been in communication with want to be in communication with. And it just confirms for me that my grandmother wants me to venerate her. Yes. So I figure out what that is. Mind you, I'm not on a traditional path or in community in that kind of way where someone's leading me down this. I'm really just trusting my spirit that, Mm -hmm. you know, what I'm doing is right. And so I get a picture of my dad's mother, Bernice. I put her on my altar and I just start lifting her daily. Like I will add a book under her picture every day and Mm -hmm. just start literally physically seeing her being lifted. Elevation ritual. Excuse me, pardon me. And um, (laughs) and so I decide to rewrite this story because so much of my grandmother's story, the way that 
everybody talks about it. It's just so traumatic, you know. Mm. My grandfather was a nigga for real. And he had a whole other families and, you know, just stuff. And when her children talk about her, they get about two minutes into talking about her and they'll start talking about my grandfather. Mm. And I and I would have to I like as I'm doing this, you know, veneration work with my grandmother, I started noticing that like, oh, nobody ever focuses on Bernice. Somehow we always get to Richard. And what he did to her or what happened to her. Mm. And so what I understand is that I need to tell a different story about her. Now, mind you, I am also studying, you know, the work of Zorna Hurston and Toni Morrison. So spiritual imagination is a very important Mm -hmm. thing to me. And what what Zora says, the rocks have memories. Toni Morrison builds on that by saying if if the rocks have memories, then certainly our spiritual imagination has to be, you know, solid, right? We won't ever recover certain records. So this is a record that I'll have to recover. So I call my aunt. I I end up up having to cuss her out to get this story. But I get the story that there's this picture. It's the only, I've never heard a story about my grandmother like this before. There's this picture of my grandmother when she's a teenager that my aunt saw one time when she was in New Orleans. My grandmother, um, was at this club standing at this bar with one of her cousins. And so it's just like a picture of her grinning, whatever, whatever. And that's the whole story. My aunt tries to get a copy of the picture. She, the cousin won't give it to her. And now it doesn't exist anymore because Katrina. So mm-hmm. I think about this story one day and I decide to tap into my spiritual imagination to understand what was happening that day. Cause I, I have no concept of my grandmother grinning at all. Mm. Like my grandmother had a stroke and a nervous breakdown when my dad was a teenager. So I've only ever known her as like a, you know, a moaner, like she uh, uh, is Mississippi from Mississippi anyways, but she like her words slurred together when she would talk and she would moan and she didn't really talk a lot anyways. And um, so I'm like, Mm. I have no concept of my grandmother grinning or giggling or any of that. So I write this story that I know is the truth. And Mm. I have, I put this, I have this picture on my altar. At some point before I write this story though, my oldest sister comes into my room and she sees this picture of my grandmother who's not her biological grandmother because it's my dad's mom. We're not the same dad. Mm -hmm. She sees this picture and she's like, okay, I kind of feel some kind of way about your grandma being on this altar. Mm. (laughs) Like, this is important to note that my sister is shady, petty, and she must be stopped. But she (laughs) also identifies as Christian. So she feels some kind of way about the altar. But the fact that it's Mm -hmm. just my grandmother, it's just our shared grandmother at some point is okay with her. But this new addition to my (laughs) grandmother is what takes it to the whole nother level. This is too much. This is too much now. This is getting out of hand. Now you're adding. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening in this room? This is unacceptable. So, because she basically like, because I know if you calling on that spirit, I know what she gonna do. I don't know what this one gonna do. (laughs) So petty. So she says that, whatever. I write this story. My sister comes back to the room maybe a couple weeks later after I've written this story. And she walks in and she says, you know, I, you know, I felt some kind of way when you first added your other grandma to this altar. She said, but when I walked in today, when I first saw the picture of your grandmother, it's the first time I've ever looked at that picture and it looks like she's grinning. 
Oh, wow. Which is the way that I ended the story that my grandmother was grinning and giggling. And it just gave me chills when she said Mm. it because I, it was such a confirmation affirmation of the work of veneration that really, if my grandmother was coming for me, you know, even through those pipes or through those dreams, whatever, it was because she just wanted somebody to stop talking about my goddamn trauma. Like say something else about me other than that. Yeah. And the fact that my sister could discern that, you know, yes. could feel that even if this isn't really a part of her practice, she, there's something in her mind that she's thinking, you know, she's thinking about this, like, you know, yeah. the possibility of this, the right. what else is here that right. maybe even if she never, you know, does that work at all, mm-hmm. that there's that. And I've even heard my sisters and a few of my cousins say that they have seen the benefit, how my spiritual journey has benefited them. Mm, Yep. That the fruit of how God and spirit has transformed my life in these last eight, nine years, they get to eat from that fruit. Yes. So I, so like, even if I'm not trying to walk down that path, because that's Mm -hmm. terrifying, you know, they there has there have been conversations, you know, that I've had about like how brave it feels for me to go down that path, because yeah. which says to me that I I genuinely believe that some of them want to and maybe just won't in this timeline yes. because it is terrifying to be like, I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to mm-hmm. lose, you know, but they see it and they feel it. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they really do. And mm-hmm. they get to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's such a powerful work and it's not just a personal work. It really is a communal, mm-hmm. communal familial work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much. This is so rich. So, so rich. You're so brilliant. Of course. Bless you daughter. Please tell the people, okay, you're working on a book that's coming out 2023. Tell the people, Mm -hmm. how do we, how do we link? How do we connect with you? How do we support you? Tell us. Yeah. Oh, my name is Ebony Janice. I go by Ebony Janice, which means that you should call me Ebony Janice. Mm -hmm. Janice looks like Janice, but it's Janice, J-A-N-I-C-E, E-B-O-N-Y-J-A-N-I-C-E. And pretty much you can find me at Ebony Janice everywhere. Period. EbonyJanice.com. And um, I did that heavy side because one of the things that I'm currently processing for myself is um, how unsustainable social media really is as a, you know, the centerpiece for the way that we're in community with each other. Yep. It's, it's not real as, and I, and I don't say that in a way that of like, you know, I, we met through social media. So obviously I have deep appreciation for social media and what is possible, but we met through social media. And then there's something that brings us offline that makes actual relationship possible. You know, Mm -hmm. I met, I met two of my best friends, the the group text that everybody in the world want to be a part of, uh, which is me, my friend, Nikki Black and my friend, Chaz Jackson. I met the both of them through MySpace. So I don't have wow. negative things to say about the possibilities of what social media does for us. But sure. it's not. But some of us have been living in social media like that's the real world. Right. And it's not. It's just a gateway. And if you don't if you don't take the path that social media is offering and take those relationships or those conversations off of social media, Mm -hmm. then 
you're in for a world of trouble because it's not sustainable. You know, you look up tomorrow and Instagram will be like, now you got to, I was about to say something so inappropriate. <laughs> now, to, now to unlock your, you know, now to log in, you got to show your clitoris. I don't know. It just be something real ridiculous. And you'll be like, okay, now we're showing our clitoris. And it's, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But right. I don't want that to be the way that we got to log in. You know, I want that to be <laughs> other options, you know? It's really invasive, honestly. It's really like, can we have intimate relationship? That that's, doesn't the, re- that's the password. That's the password is your specific. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. I don't even, my mind, Lord help me. Um, this is why I need Jesus because <laughs> Jesus brings me that's back. That's why you need the Bible. It's one of sacred texts. <laughs> that's honestly the reason why I hold on to the Bible because sometimes I'll be like sometimes I'll do something I'll be like now holiness is still right daughter <laughs> that's too far now honey but that to say I am I am interested in what worlds we get to create outside of social media mm-hmm. and so that is a way to find me and to be you know introduced to a portion of my energy yes but there are just all these other ways that I feel like we should be trying to, you know, build and grow community outside of that space. And so there's that. And then the last thing about the book is the book is called all the black girls are activists. Um, it's the fourth wave woman. It's introduction to dreams is liberation justice. I'd be lying about stuff sometimes. So I don't know if that's the subtitle for real, for real, but the real (laughs) title is all the black girls are activists. That's for sure. I do know that for sure. And the book is really about the fact that I want all my anti-racist, liberation, justice, activist, abolition, you know, all of us to really take a nap, go on vacation, masturbate, turn people off, you know, turn the World Wide Web off. I want us to stop. I want us to not. I don't, Mm. I want to, before we got on uh, your producers and y'all were talking about being, you know, too busy, you were talking about doing too much. I I don't want you to just take breaks after you worn yourself out. I want you to cut that shit out. Stop doing too much, doing Mm -hmm. too much. If, if doing too much was going to save you, wouldn't it have done it by now? If doing too much was going to fix it, wouldn't it have fixed it by now? So there's that. So I want us to stop. And what's the alternative to doing too much when we lived in this capitalist, you know, society where you got to where you feel like you got to do too much. I, I often think about when I was living in Harlem, at, at which point I got this for myself that I needed to chill. There's this girl who was always at work at the McDonald's on the corner. She was working harder than me. I promise you she was every single day. She was working harder than me. If hard work was going to save it, she would have way more money than me, period, period. And so that's not going to save us. Hard work is not going to save us, period. We just know that factually. We know that. We just know it. We know that hard work isn't it. So all the black girls are activists is really talking about the ways that we don't have to keep doing justice work in the way that we've been doing justice work. We have to consider that, um, that, you know, just showing up as my whole self is freedom work enough because I live in an anti-black, you know, patriarchal society. So the decision to show up and be nappy headed is like, Oh, this is, this woman is free. You know, (laughs) the decision to be loud 
in mm-hmm. a space that respectability politics politics is constantly wanting me to quiet myself. It's like, oh, this woman is free. You know, mm-hmm. the decision, the decision to pursue softness in a world that wants black women or what Zorana Hurston, what Nanny and uh, the eyes are watching guy says, the nigger woman is the mule of the world. The decision to show up and be like, nah, I'm not going to be the mule of the world mm-hmm. is my justice work. That's wild. This woman is free. She ain't going to be my mule. Mm-hmm. No, she's not. And so then the, again, what worlds do we get to create? Not just off social media, what worlds do we get to create? Particularly as black women, when we decide I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> mm. Now I get to take this energy and I get to think about stuff that I ain't even had time to think about. I'm gonna say this and I'm done with this sermon. I was talking to a friend recently about how, when I, when I feel something, I stop whatever I'm doing and I go feel it. Like mm-hmm. if I, if I start feeling, you know, just sadness, grief, missing, longing, whatever, whatever, I, I, I stop what I'm doing. I, I could be listening to an audiobook. I will pause it and go and like create ritual ceremony to just feel sad for a minute. Mm-hmm. I will put on a, a veil. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm going to be drama- dramatic because I'm going to feel this. And yeah. so I was talking about that. And this particular girlfriend has children. And she said, I ain't never had time to just go feel my feelings, girl. That's so deep. And I'm, I want to mention that because I feel like that's it. What do you think that I get to create on the other side of grief? Because I grieved. Right. Whereas we don't historically, we so busy. We don't even have time to fully grieve. I move stuff out the way and in its place is the divine inspiration of God. That's like, mm-hmm. don't work hard, just send this email. And then I send the email and it's the email that I, it's the exact thing that I needed to do instead of doing 47 things when the one thing I needed to do was right there. But I right. couldn't, I couldn't know that. I couldn't feel that. I couldn't divine that because I, I didn't have time to feel my feelings. And right. as a result, I'm sitting with this and not, you know, the capacity for this. Mm. So, so I really, I really, really implore this audience as, you know, specifically black women or, or most specifically black women, but anybody listening, listen, this to preacher and me, anybody under the sound of my voice, this is for you. Mm-hmm. I really, I really implore you to really start troubling if what you were doing and how you were doing it was going to save you, wouldn't it have saved you by now? God bless you on your journey. Oh. Ah. Y'all. Ebony Janice more. <laughs> that clap out of here. <laughs> If you'd like to support me in this mission, get some extra special content, please join us over on Patreon. Anything helps. Any tier level helps. I really, really appreciate you. And also, if you join Patreon, you get to send me the voicemails that we've had in a few episodes and get some spiritual advice, readings, classes, and the updates from me. And there's also ways to support non-monetarily. Thank you for shouting me out when you shout me out and you hashtag the show and you tell people and you help spread the good juju gospel. That is another way to support me. And I thank you. 
If you would like to bring me Juju Bay to your school, organization to speak, teach, do a workshop about hashtag black ass spirituality and religions, ancestral religions and systems, you can reach out to me on the emails at juju at itsjujubae.com. And let's let's work something out, start the journey together. And remember, all you need is a little juju. Later, y'all. Our producers are Kenya Denise and Alexandra De Palma. A little juju is produced by Domino Sound. A little herb, a little root, and then I'm wavy. And it's amazing how it saved me. I felt the magic was inside, I knew the whole time. I got the mojo and my titties, got the whole night. I got some candles in the back for when it's go time, go time. So do nothing without intention. I thought I should mention this ain't new invention. My juju's for freedom. If yours not, I question. No setbacks, just lessons. A class is in session. Now people are calling us back to tradition. The spirit is saying that we got a mission. So I'm gearing up when they call, I'ma listen. Don't get in my way, I got pots in the kitchen. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. My spirits always keep me in the loop. So before you lie, I hope you tell the truth. Cause I can speak on what they may decide to do. Protected in my truths, I'm grounded in my roots and my roots now. Non believers think this is a flu. But there's something about you make me see the proof. I know you're thirsty cause you fainted for my juice. But you got it too. You got it too, yes you do. And all you need is a little juju. I got libations and calories that owe me too too. Intention is power and that's the hoodoo. That's the voodoo. That's the true you. That's the true you. See your intention is power and that's the hoodoo. That's the voodoo. That's the true you. That's the true you. And all you need is a little juju.